Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The FT. Payment protection insurance. Why there's billions in compensation still to be paid. Managed funds. Why billions are still invested in underperforming funds. And mortgage rates. How you could save billions. Well, at least hundreds of pounds by paying a redemption charge and switching lender. All this to come in this week's FT Money Show. I'm Matthew Vincent, so I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with my colleagues from FT Money, Elaine Moore. Hello. Alice Ross. Hello. And Tanya Poli. Hi. And our special studio guest, Adrian Lowcock, Senior Investment Advisor at advice firm Best Invest. Hello. Let's start then with the money news. This week, the banks that missold payment protection insurance to customers taking out loans said they had paid out £215 million in compensation in the first half of the year, having started to process the huge backlog of claims. But this is just a tiny fraction of the £7 billion or more that the banks have set aside to cover the bill for PPI claims. Consumer groups expect a further surge in payouts in the second half of the year as banks inundated with claims have struggled to process them quickly. Some of the biggest culprits, such as Lloyds Banking Group, Barclays and Royal Bank of Scotland, have hired hundreds of staff to help work through the masses of complaints. And the financial ombudsman recently said it had at least another 100,000 cases to consider while new cases were still arriving. So, Elaine, there's loads more to come. But how can any listener know when they will get this money back? Well, they can't really. The FSA tried to set these deadlines to sort of, it was meant to help the banks and also to help customers know when they might receive money back again. They had a huge amount of claims sitting there waiting. The banks had frozen all these claims that came in whilst they carried out this court case attempting to fight against the idea that they should be paying out money to people who had been missold PPI. And maybe we should just mention, uh, just do a quick recap on PPI because it's been a little while since we've talked about it. I think it's a very good idea because people must be so sort of confused as to what's happening, who's getting paid. And it's quite a jargony subject anyway. So PPI is payment protection insurance and this is insurance that was sold alongside personal loans or credit cards. So you would go to take out a loan, the bank 
supposedly may have sort of strong-armed you into taking out insurance alongside it so that if you lost your job or if you fell ill and you couldn't repay the loan, the insurance would cover it. What was found to have happened was that people were either sold the insurance when they didn't even know that they'd been sold it or they were told to take out the insurance when actually it didn't apply to them to say they were self-employed or something or they had a previous uh, medical condition. So lots and lots of these claims um, are now being put in and they're already in place. Um, The banks were told that they had a little bit of an extension for when they had to pay the money out. So they had up until uh, Wednesday, midnight on Wednesday, to sort out the claims that had been put in while the court case was going on. We know that at least one bank missed that deadline. Oh, right. We're waiting on an announcement to hear whether there was another one. We'll see. Watch this space. But supposedly what they were meant to do is write to all the customers, tell them you have been missold this um, this insurance and you will be repaid this much money. Then there are some more deadlines throughout the rest of the year. So anybody who put in a claim up to August, the bank had 16 weeks to sort that out. Anyone who puts a claim in between August and December this year, the banks have 12 weeks to sort that out. Anybody else who puts in a claim after that, the banks have eight weeks. So in terms of when you might get your payout, if you weren't one of the borrowers who got some of this $215 you might get something in about, what, 16 weeks' time? Well, there's actually no requirement for the exact date when the money has to be paid to you. So the FSA says that they advise and they want the banks to give you the money about a month after they've told you how much you should receive. But that's not guaranteed at all. And as you said, the the sums involved are so enormous and they're far larger than we were at first told or the banks themselves seem to have been expecting. So as these sums keep going up, I mean, £7 billion is now supposed to be the cost of paying out all this money. As these sums increase, the time involved may also increase. So it could be actually further on than we at first thought. And one last recap. If you think you have been missold payment protection insurance, what do you do? You don't go to a claims management company. That's the first thing you don't do. They take about 25% cut. And also what's quite interesting is that in a lot of cases, if you still have the loan outstanding, the way that you receive your compensation is that the total sum of your loan will decrease. So you will just be paying off less in the future. But if you went to a claims management company in order to get this sorted out, you have to pay them that 25% out of your own pocket. So your loan decreases, but you've got to somehow find some extra money from somewhere to so, pay your so company. So don't, don't, whatever you do, talk to a claims management company. What should you do? All you have to do, you have to write to the bank with your details, tell them the sum of the loan, when you took the loan out, the, the insurance figures just say you think you were missold, what the details were. Were you told about um, the requirements for the insurance? Was it all explained to you? Did you know that you were being sold in the first place? If you're a Barclays customer, they appear to not be asking any questions at all. They have a policy. They'll pay out. If you say you were missold it, they will pay you out. I think I might pop down to Barclays uh, after this. Uh, Elaine, thank you very much indeed for explaining that. And for more on the PPI compensation claims process, how it works and how long it takes, look out for Elaine's article in the money section of this weekend's FT and online at ft.com forward slash money. Still to come on the show, is it worth paying a redemption charge to switch to a super cheap mortgage? First, though, fund performance. Every year, advice firm Best Invest produces a report called Spot the Dog, which works out how much money is still invested in dog funds. Now, these are defined as funds that have underperformed their benchmarks in each of the last three years and by at least 10% over the past three years cumulatively. 
Its latest report came out this week and revealed a shocking statistic. £23 billion worth of investors' money is now held in dog funds, an increase of 74% since the previous report in November 2010. Worse still, investors have paid £348 million in annual management charges in the past year for the privilege of having their funds managed by the industry's worst performers. Alice, I sometimes get criticised by readers and listeners for being a bit too hard on fund managers, but frankly, <laughs> this is vindication of our uh, of our criticisms, is it not? I know, it does seem that way, doesn't it? I think um, particularly times like this when markets are volatile or markets are falling, you really do see that a lot of fund managers, when they're talking about, oh, look how much, you know, how much money I've returned to you. And a lot of that is just on the back of rising markets frequently. And I think it's particularly worrying that there's been this increase of 74% since November, because of course, we know that stock markets have fallen so much. So, you know, uh, and, and yet, so you can't say that there's um, funds under management that are just growing naturally in those dog funds. There must be something else going on. I mean, Adrian, what, why do you think the, the rise has been so high? I think part of it is is down to uh, the difficult market conditions we've had. So it's been very hard to predict uh, the macroeconomic climate. And, uh, you know, you see different commentators sort of talk about deflation and then others talk about inflation almost in the same, and switch from one to the other almost in the same breath. So that's made it very challenging for fund managers to do it. But what we are measuring is it is three years underperformance. So, you know, one or two errors can be forgivable, but, um, you know, continuous underperformance is still an issue. And I think the main, the other main issue is actually, we don't see necessarily the fund, the size of these funds drop in value. So we're not seeing uh, big outflows. And I think that that's, that's the message that needs to be sent to the fund management groups, bad performance cannot be tolerated. And, and that can be done by investors switching out. It was interesting. I did ask a couple of the fund managers who you guys had selected as some, having some of the worst funds. I spoke to Fidelity and um, SWIP this week, and they both said that uh, of some of the dog funds that you guys had selected, um, that they had new managers in place that had only been there for a year or 18 months or something, and they were, you know, turning around performance in the past year. I mean, is that, you know, if investors heard that kind of defence, should they listen to that? Should they stay in the fund then? I think the important thing is actually getting independent advice on that, because um, you're absolutely right. Some of the fund managers and Fidelity and, and SWIP both both stand out for that, having appointed new managers where performance is starting to improve. Um, but the, the important thing is, uh, quite a lot of the time, what we hear is marketing rhetoric and, and sales p- patter. Um, you need to get independent analysis, independent advice. You know, is it worth sticking to a fund that's been underperforming for a long period of time, even if it has a new manager? Maybe the process isn't right. Uh, it's not always clear cut. So getting independent advice or independent assessment on the funds is, is quite important. I mean, as Matthew was saying about the, the vast amount that investors are paying out in fees to these fund managers. Should these funds just be shut down? I mean, surely there are just too many active funds, you know, in the market that all claim that they can outperform the benchmark and yet very few of them manage to do so. I think the trouble is, if you have inertia, uh, then and the fund money stays in the funds, then there is little motivation for them to shut down. And it doesn't always seem to be that much motivation for them to change management or change processes. Um, so it's up to us to make sure we actually uh, run the money, uh, move our money, advise our clients to move money, and actually go to those fund managers who are outperforming, so that uh, by natural 
selection, uh, they will actually uh, close those funds down or, or make a, make changes. And how much do you really believe in the kind of the, you know, what some people might call the myth that active managers can actually outperform the benchmark? Because I was looking at some research that uh, someone sent me that was done earlier this year by, I think, uh, Morningstar and BlackRock, and it found that the odds of a fund manager outperforming the benchmark over three years, because the dog funds look at those of, that have underperformed over three years, the odds of them outperforming over three years are apparently 4%. So that doesn't really bode well if you're trying to find an active fund manager. I think the key is in some markets, active doesn't necessarily work. Um, so, for example, in the, U- the US, it's so well, uh, particularly in the large cap space, so well researched. Information is so commonly around and available that you, passive probably works well in there. But then, if you look in smaller company space and in Asia Pacific and emerging markets, you get really strong performance through active management. Um, so, active managers can add value, but it's not a active or passive. It's it's a case of blending both and finding the right solution for the right market. Because, of course, um, I actually saw some research today saying that uh, you know the volume of um, ETF exchange-traded passive funds being held on uh, you know, share platforms is so much larger than it was in the past year. So obviously investors are turning towards passive funds a lot more these days. But your view is that they should not just give up on active fund management altogether because of these figures. They should still try and pick the ones that can outperform. Yeah, I think, I mean, ETFs have their place. That's that's the first thing. Secondly, uh, active managements have their place. And thirdly, you've got to make sure that you're paying the right fees for the right service. So don't pay fees for active managers just for the sake of it. And um, also don't necessarily assume ETFs are, are the only low-cost solution. Thanks uh, for that, Adrian and uh, Alice as well. And if you'd like to know more about dog funds and the managers responsible for them, you can read Alice's feature. It's in the money section of this weekend's FT and on the website at ft.com forward slash money. And finally today, mortgage rates. Just when you thought that fixed rate mortgage deals couldn't get any more competitive, they just have done. On Thursday, HSBC launched a five-year fixed rate deal at 3.34%. It carries a £999 fee and is available for borrowers with a deposit of 40% or more. Now, although this rate is not as low as Chelsea Building Society's 3.34%, Two nine percent for five years, HSBC's new mortgage comes with a lower fee, making it the more attractive option for homeowners with smaller loans. All of which begs the question, which many of us in the office have been asking each other, does it make sense to pay an early redemption charge on your current mortgage and switch to one of these historically cheap rates? Tanya, you've been trying to do the sums on this uh, this week. Is it worth doing? It's an interesting area, to be honest. I mean, like you said, um, we've had quite a lot of discussion about this in the office itself, and we've actually received quite a lot of emails and phone calls from readers who have taken out um, maybe a five-year fix um, in 2007 or 2008, where rates were around sort of 6% mark. Um, and they're now obviously reading a lot about all these cheap rates that have come onto the market over the last, um, probably over the last year, really, to be honest. Um, and they're obviously wondering, should they should they be swapping? Because, you know, could they save money in the long term? And, I mean, the answer isn't, isn't straightforward, to be honest, because I didn't think it would be, <laughs> um, there are a lot of variables involved. Um, first of all, you've got lenders, um, basically, they all charge um, different ERCs, which are early repayment charges. So with fixed rates, um, every lender will charge you a um, penalty if you want to redeem early. And that's because basically they need to factor in, they've already cost their mortgage on that price. Um, so they need to basically factor in what that will cost them if you redeem early. Um and again, it doesn't, with each lender, they all have different ERCs, and this will vary from 
the the length of the mortgage. So maybe in the first year of your five year mortgage, it'll be quite high at maybe five percent. Some lenders will reduce this as the mortgage term goes on, while other lenders have a flat rate throughout the whole five years. So really, the first thing to do is to look at what your ERC terms are,、um, what rates your lender your deal actually charges.、Um, the other thing, I mean, then. You need to really sort of kind of factor in what your cost is of your original mortgage deal, how much,、um, what the ERC cost will be,、um, and then you need to basically work out actually what the percentage difference between the new deal you could take, and whether that will actually save you money、um, compared to actually the the one-off ERC cost. Yes,、uh, and presumably it would need to be a reasonable saving、yeah. in order to make you know, the, the additional cost of remortgaging and、yeah. the,、uh, the time that you spend worthwhile. But let, let's just sort of take an example.、Um, so, I mean, you mentioned that、uh, you know a number of readers and listeners、uh, have got in touch because they have five-year fixed-rate mortgages to, which they took out in two thousand and eight. If they have mortgages that have this sort of sliding scale of early redemption penalty.、Mm-hmm. I imagine that they're now in year three of five years,、yep. which would mean that their redemption charge would probably be about three percent on average, maybe. Yeah, because、yeah. they yeah. start at five percent, don't they? The yes, yeah. Sometimes they go down. Yeah. So let's assume that it's three percent. You then have to work work out what that cost is. Yeah. And then, as you say, you'd have to work out if you could get one of these three point three four or three point two nine, whatever it is you wanted、mm-hmm. to get rates. How much lower your repayments would be,、mm-hmm. but I'm assuming that it all depends on how, you know, on how long you've got to go on your old mortgage. Yeah,、um, most of the brokers I've been speaking to, and from the calculations that we've done,、um, it's typically more likely to pay off the longer you have on your mortgage term.、Um, if if you're kind of obviously coming to to the end,、um, even though the ERCs will be lower, you haven't got as many years to kind of make up that saving, because、um, also you've got to factor in also the new arrangement fees for the new mortgage. Um, so that's another thing to bear in mind. I mean, I think most brokers are saying that you're typically better off if you've got maybe eighteen months left or more.、Um, obviously, again, depending on what the ERC is. But if we're taking three percent、um, mark,、um, then you're more likely to be able to、um, nearly make up the cost in the first in that first year of switching, and、um, in the second year, obviously, then better off. And just finally,、um, I've sat here <laughs> on this very podcast and said, I do not believe mortgage rates can go any lower. And I know、um, that this week the HSBC deal is not a lower rate、no. for five years than the、uh, historically low Chelsea Building Society rate. Do you think they can go lower? Or is this the bottom? I know, I know it's an impossible it's a, question. <laughs> it's a very hard one to call. I mean, I I never thought we'd see rates below three point five percent. I mean, before that was. Obviously, where everyone's like, that's the amazing level.、Um, we've never seen that before, and obviously, we've now got a loan at three point two nine. We did have this Chelsea four, no, a Coventry four year fix at two point nine nine percent. That's actually being withdrawn tonight. That's gone, is it? Well, from the close of business tonight, that will be going.、Um, so it'll be interesting to see maybe actually if any lenders、um, will maybe drop their five year fixed rates further below that three point two nine percent because obviously, like we've said, interest rates are predicted to stay low for the next two years. I mean, you know. Obviously, that can vary,、um, and five-year swap rates have been falling.、Um, so lenders seem to be increasing the competition this week still further. So who knows what will happen over the next few weeks? Who knows? I think we'll be having a conversation about it on this very podcast in in the weeks to come.、Uh, but for now, Tanya, thank you very much indeed. And uh, um, if you'd like to know how to do those calculations to work out whether it does. Uh, pay to incur an early redemption charge and switch to a new mortgage. Make sure you read Tanya's article in the money section of this weekend's FT, which will have 
some of those calculations for you to look at. But that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money Show. Remember, you'll find all of these stories, plus daily news updates, blog posts and top tips on our website, ft.com forward slash money. You can follow our tweets at twitter.com forward slash FT Money. And if you have a question you'd like us to answer about any aspect of your finances, just email us the usual address, money at ft.com. Next week, we'll bring you another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Tanya, Alice, Elaine, and our special guest, Adrian Lowcock from Best Invest. Goodbye. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.